guess what, man? It's been 50 years of hip-hop this year. So I know you're just like me seeing all the anniversary talk going everywhere. 50 years, everyone's doing these specials. But it wouldn't be the Pop Culture 5 if we didn't have our hip-hop episode. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. You're absolutely correct. I mean, I know it's been hip-hop's been a core for me, a core thing for me since I was a kid. And it just only makes sense. And I guess part of me, yeah, 50 years. I remember listening to it when hip-hop was a new thing. And so we're already like in really established stages of the genre. Right, absolutely. And for us, you can look at hip-hop and say it started in seventy, you know, the 70s, the 80s, and where it kind of went into this is a genre. But to me, like that crux of where it went from just this kind of funky music genre to it mainstream was the 90s. So... For our episode of the Pop Culture 5, we're doing 90s hip-hop songs. And I don't know about you, but this was this was maybe in all the podcast episodes I've ever done on anything, this was the toughest. I mean, I was sweating bullets here thinking about what do like oh, how about this one or what about that one? This was like maybe the biggest challenge I've had doing an episode. Yeah, I'm still sweating bullets, and I know there's something that I'm going to regret not picking, but we only have so many choices and there's just so much that I want to choose. So I think I narrowed it down, but I'm still like not 100% comfortable, even though I love my uh, what I'm probably going to choose. It's like, but something's got to be left out and it hurts. Yeah, that's the thing. Something's going to be left out. And, you know, where people listening, they're going to. Even though we can definitely, honestly, with this topic, we could do a part four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten if you wanted to. But, you know, we probably definitely will have a part two later this year. But still, it's just like, depending on what your taste is, where you're from, all what what kind of style of hip-hop you like, Mm -hmm. people can really pick us apart. Which is the fun of it, but I'm just like, man, some people can really, really just tear into us. But, I mean, I think it's worth it because... It's 90s hip hop, man. We got to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 the golden age to me. And I'm, I'm probably going to sound like an old man yelling at clouds. And I know there's a lot of really talented current artists. I have a lot of respect for for people like Kendrick Lamar, uh, Nipsey Hussle. I had a lot of respect for uh, before he passed. But, you know, uh, it's just this is the stuff that I grew up on. It like lives within me. Uh, the 90s hip-hop so of course i'm gonna have a bias and look at this era of hip-hop as the golden age and people you know who who love current hip-hop and will rattle off these artists i think joey badass is another current artist who like i think's you know really good who's impressed me but i hope i don't come across as like an old man yelling at the clouds and saying in my day things were better and this and that it's just what lives within me and what i can speak more passionately about absolutely absolutely so this is the Pop Culture 5. I'm Jeremy. This is my main man, Thomas. And we're going to be doing our five essential 90s hip hop songs. So, Thomas, before like we get into the list uh, and we tell people like just a reminder, like what the rules are. I wanted to see and it may show in what you pick and I pick. But I wanted to ask you because there's so many ways you can for essential 90s hip hop songs you could take to like try to narrow down your list. What were some of the factors that you were looking at to kind of like be like, take it from maybe 20 to 10 to your, your short list. 
I was looking at a variety of different styles. First of all, like uh, like musically, just styles and and lyrically styles too. You had a lot of hip hop back then. Uh, a lot of artists would rap about what it was like growing up. Uh, some really heavy things. Uh, then some would be more like there was more kind of party rap or more lighthearted types of things. So I was looking at a variation of like styles as far as not only musically but thematically too. I wanted to try to represent different styles like that. I wanted to not just be like we're gonna just gonna do five of the same style, the same theme, everything like that. Like I wanted just to have an array of things. I did look regionally too, and I tried to represent I have and we'll get to this, but I have two choices. So uh, I was I was handcuffed a little bit as far as which regions I was going to choose. But I didn't want I kind of didn't want to keep it to the same region as well. So I was kind of looking at different like Southwest Coast, East Coast, kind of like different regions as well. And and I didn't want to just focus on like one region because I probably even though I'm from New Mexico, I'm mm-hmm. from the Western half of the United States. I probably growing up leaned more toward East Coast stuff. Um, but I wanted to kind of give a look at, at everything. So, so I just wanted to look at just kind of the, what's under the wide umbrella of nineties hip hop. That's impossible to do with five essentials. That like, that's what you said. Like, that's why we'll probably do like a, a second part here in a few months or something and have five other choices. But uh, that was kind of my uh, approach with this, Jeremy. No, I hear you. And I think for me, it was a combination. A lot of stuff, what you said, did come into my mind, especially the region part, which I feel like is one of the big changes from the 90s hip hop to today is I feel like region isn't as like specified or like shown as much as it like the 90s, like, you know, in the time when the Internet was new, it wasn't as big. So that was the way for you to like connect or see, oh, this is what's going on in this part of the country. This is how they live. This is what the the different lingo is, the style, what they're dressed like, what they're wearing, how they drive their cars. It was like a window into a different world back then, which is like, we don't really have that as much today. And yeah. I think because of the internet, you know? Like, yeah. Like back then they would have like a, a whole city or borough or whatever, like on their back, like they would do it and they would always like say, I'm representing whoever. And if you're part of that community, I'd imagine you felt it. You know, and you're from Philadelphia, so you're from a place where there was actual like mainstream, like people actually came out of Philly, right, and, and did stuff right. with hip hop. New Mexico, not as much. I think like Kid Frost uh, yeah. was from New Mexico, and uh, but it just wasn't as much uh, from New Mexico. So you probably have more maybe sentimental attachment to like certain things as far as region and stuff. But I, yeah, I definitely get that. Yeah, so that's like you said, being from Philly, so having Philly artists as well. And then New York being, you know, an hour and a half away, like, so you could get their radio stations and they would, we had our Philly stations, you know, Power 99, Philly 103.9, but like you could get the New York stations and hear what New York was saying and what was going on there. So it was interesting. I was looking at regional, I was looking at just the influence Mm -hmm. and something that, man, this song led to a big change in the 90s. But also even past that, like this, like, man, when this song came out, it was part of this album, but this song kind of changed how we looked at something or we had never seen 
someone do something like that. Okay. And I also kind of, for me, a little bit looked at, because it's the 90s, and maybe this is fair or foul, but do people still know about it now? Can we, like, are people, not just, like, hip-hop heads like us, but younger generations or everywhere, like, that song, that beat is still played a lot now, kind of like, oh, this one's lasting the test of time, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think one of my choices probably fits that criteria as far as like now i think the other one i might be educating a little bit mm-hmm. uh but I, but i definitely can justify like that's the whole to me that's the fun of this is is finding stuff that we can uh justify what what it means what what essential means to us in a lot of ways um i probably didn't go as as widespread and as macro as you i don't know that like influence wasn't necessarily at the top of my <laughs> at the top yeah, of my choice. Okay. I, yeah so, but it's, yeah, that's just the fun of this whole exercise is just what does essential mean to us and how can we talk about it and justify it? And maybe we do introduce somebody to something that they haven't listened to. I'm curious because I think one of the choices I'm leaning toward might be one where it's like just a little education is involved, but it's not too obscure, but I'm just curious, a little uh, sneak preview here, <laughs> a little tease. <laughs> Uh, but I'm just curious, especially as what what you'll think of that, since influence is one of your like main criteria. Yeah, I think, and I, I think I'm interested to see it too. And and <laughs> and um, I kind of we'll see what people say or think. But I kind of went. I wanted to do songs. There's some songs that are pretty obvious, and I kind of wanted to go away from those. Yeah, there's bit. artists that are pretty obvious. Right. I'm that's curious a good point. to see if we'll represent all those artists or one or none. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious. Okay, so we're going to get into it. So for those who, if this is your first time listening to us, uh, we, as the host, will rotate the topic. So since this was my topic, I'm going to get three picks. Thomas will have two, but Thomas, as having two, has the right to veto. And if he vetoes one of my, which I feel like this uh, could really strongly happen. Yeah. So if he vetoes one of mine, then I got to come up with another. So that's how we kind of even it out. So, Thomas, you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So number one for me, which some may say is, I, I don't think it's obvious, but it has stood the test of time and its influence and impact can go on in so many ways. And I got to go with Ghetto Boys, Mind Playing Tricks on Me as my number one. And it's a song I've always loved. You know, the Ghetto Boys, Scarface, Willie D, Bushwhack Bill, sort of three of them. And that album cover even, you know, after, you know, Bushwick Bill, you know, he's drunk on alcohol, high on PCP, argument with his girlfriend, winds up shooting himself in the face, shooting his eye out. And, you know, that cover, which is infamous, it's, you know, was on the album and on the, you know, the cassette for mind playing tricks on me is Scarface and Willie D, you know, pushing him through the hospital, like in the like the wheelchair with his eye patch on. Like that was an infamous cover for a lot of people. Like that was yeah. like a whoa, like, you know, this group. Can't believe and they I, actually used that. Exactly. For their, for their album cover. I definitely remember I could close my eyes and see that album cover <laughs> for sure. So it's just kind of like, wow, this is pretty, you know, intense. But if you look at that song and people talk about, hey, hip hop glorifying, you know, the aspects of what's going on in the inner city, what's happening in, in, you know, that life. 
this was a song that went through the mental health, the mind, you know, what it goes through, the anxiety, the PTSD of, you know, living that hustling lifestyle. I live by the swamp. I take my boys everywhere I go because I'm paranoid. I keep looking over my shoulder and peeping around corners. My mind is playing tricks on me. Which is something that you didn't you didn't really hear a lot of back then. Which now we hear a lot of, you know, in today's hip hop, them talk, which I'm glad, talking about mental health or talking about what they're feeling. But you didn't really hear a lot about that back then. Right. And the song kind of had a real eerie, you know, that hardcore, that like hard style of hip hop. This is a song that you do, you know, hear around like Halloween and it kind of has that weird, like, you know, Tales of the Crypt kind of yeah. feel with the music video. Yeah, Halloween is represented in the music video. Exactly. Right? Bushwick builds trick-or-treating or something and he gets beat up. He gets yeah. jumped and his stuff gets stolen. That's that's the thing with the song and video. That's what sticks out in my mind is Bushwick Bill getting beat up right. when, he's, when he's trick-or-treating in the neighborhood and he's walking around. And Or, or do they beat him? Yeah, they beat him up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's still in people's candy, but then he like catches the wrong end of a of a beat down uh, exactly in the video yeah you're exactly. right it's eerie man and scarface's vocals are just that, great that bass that deep that deep just his cadence and that like uh like i i just love like scarface's vocals just really stick out for me too jeremy day by day it's more impossible to cope i feel like i'm the one that's doing dope can't keep a steady hand because i'm nervous every sunday morning i'm in service and even that opening, that 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 beat is still playing. That bam, 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 bam. Yeah. you hear it all the time, and people like know what it is. And for the regional part, I think obviously in a lot of ways, if you think of, they weren't the first, but the real kings of the South, Outcast. But you really don't see hits from the South like at this point. People talk mm-hmm. about you know other regions booming in the '90s. This coming out in '91. These guys are from Houston, Texas. Right. So this, like, I think that's important where, like, oh, we really didn't have a hit like this coming from the South. Now we're used to it. Now we've seen so much. But back in 91, this was a different thing. And Scarface is definitely a known legend for the South and a legend in hip-hop regardless. But this was a big deal and a big stepping stone for, like, okay, someone outside of New York or, you know, even, like, Philly making a big hit and you know we had compton in the west nwa but they were kind of coming up but it was like hey these guys from houston texas have this infamous song so that's why and you still hear to be all the time so for me the first i'm nominating because since thomas has the veto i'm gonna put ghetto boys mind playing tricks on me for my first choice yeah i'm not gonna veto this this is a really cool choice and this is something that actually didn't really uh i guess didn't necessarily cross my mind i'm really fam- very familiar uh, with the song like when i remember when i was a kid that video was uh, the video and the song you as you mentioned was like eerie to me like it brought it kind of brought up like uncomfortable feelings and when i would be watching like yo mtv raps or whatever and they would play this video uh it was really cool in texas isn't like a region that i thought would be represented here today so yeah. I, I like that i like going down and getting something from texas and you're right even especially in the early 90s the South wasn't that represented. I remember um, the Poison Clan mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Two Live Crew from Florida. Yep. Uh, yep. And uh, but like as far as artists from Texas, and I'm probably missing something. It seems like the Ghetto Boys were like ground floor, like influential in in Texas hip hop. Oh, definitely. Yeah, Scarface is the king when it comes to Houston. He's a legend. Mm-hmm. 
And I think, yeah, and you're right, Two Life Crew was infamous, but it was like Luke Campbell, it was like kind of like, it was different. It was raunchy, party, I, and I feel like they were, they made hits, I don't want to take away from them, but it was like party, kind of just like excess stuff. Yep. And what you had with Scarface and the Ghetto Boys and a song like this, this was just different. You know, you're, you're showing like that lifestyle, like, hey, when you're out there hustling on the streets, you hear the glorified stuff. This was talking about the mental health, the worry, the angst, the loneliness, the isolation of it. And I feel like that's why I look at this as like, oh, that hit from the South that kind of showed that the South can be taken for real as deep artists. No, yeah, that makes complete sense. And I always looked at hip hop too. So some, a lot of my favorite hip hop is storytelling. Mm-hmm. I look at it as a big storytelling genre. And this one you have what, two or three different segments, like it's perfectly like we're telling a story in these segments. You can visualize it. You close your eyes. You're kind of visualizing what's happening in the song. You don't need the music video to paint a picture for you. It helps, but this is the type of song that paints that picture really well. And a lot of a lot of it, like that's what I look for, uh, That especially in the choices that I made and the songs that I looked at. A lot of it was like, does it paint a vivid picture for me? Does it tell a story? And this one certainly does. All right, so we're good with number one. And this is not this is just essential, so it's not saying this is the number one essential, but just right. first choice, ghetto boys, mind playing tricks on me. I'm I'm interested to hear what you got, man. So along those lines, as I just mentioned, like I was looking at stuff that was that painted vivid pictures, and I like hearing especially about what people observe in their neighborhood and growing up and everything like that. And I think, I think I do. My first choice is like a heritage artist in my opinion of the nineties. This song in particular is off of what many people consider possibly the greatest hip hop album of all time. I love representing that album. And this song just to me is the shining star of that album. So I'm going to go, Deremy, back to 1994 off of Illmatic. We're going to go with New York State of Mind. Wow. By Nas. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, you have the production, which is awesome. DJ Premier just like created that beat and he used jazz samples made it like a earthly kind of eerie vibe with the production Nas just painting pictures man and he was only 20 years old when this, right. when this album came out so he was like late teens when he was writing this masterpiece and he's just so good about observing what he saw obviously and painting a picture so New York state of mind it's a description of a violent incident essentially And what he's describing is like a self-defense kind of situation, I think. He was involved in a shootout in the song. And this stems from his his brother and best friend were both killed when he was young, when Nas Mm -hmm. was young. And so this stems from like stuff that he's seen and possibly been involved in. But just like the the way he weaves together rhymes and and paints you a picture, especially at the beginning. So, So he says like, I don't know how to start this shit. It's because he's kind of still working out the song. Like, this is his first take when he's doing this song. So he's just kind of like trying to get his bearings together. So he says on the mic, like, I don't know how to start this. And then he comes out with like 
first bar, this interesting sounding flow and vocal melody. Rappers are monkey flipping with the funky rhythm. I be kicking, musician, inflicting composition of pain. I'm like Scarface sniffing cocaine, holding the M16. See with the pen, I'm extreme now. Just that that melody right there, that vocal melody, the way those words come together and coalesce, and it's just so interesting. It like grabs me right away, Absolutely. right, right away. So, I mean, I, and I'll have more to say, but I'm curious, Jeremy, like. New York state of mind. Is this something that belongs on the list in your opinion? It's interesting um, because obviously Illmatic for 90s hip hop essential albums is hands down on there. And I think that's the Nas was not a commercial guy. Mm -hmm. So we can't take that. So I really I'm going to be straight up like with you in the audience. I don't know. I I know the song very well. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of letting it. It's something I would not have thought about. And it's weird because it's not that I don't know the song. I just like, yeah. when I think of, nah, I think of the album. I never think of, because he's not like, he has singles, but it's really like, especially with Illmatic, it was like the album as a collection. Yeah. So I never thought about anything on there besides like, like you said, kind of like the whole story of Illmatic mm-hmm. as an album. So I'm kind of like in the moment thinking, I'm not going to say no, because that album is so essential to not just 90s hip hop, but hip hop history. And that is a great song. Like, I, I mean, I think you're making a great point. Like, yeah, like, because I think that's the thing. Should we should we punish any artist if the song doesn't have that quote unquote commercial success? Yeah, and I think, and no, we shouldn't. Yeah, I don't think so. And, and, you, and we talk about relevancy culturally, even now today. And it, I think it has permeated. There was an episode of Ozark on Netflix. Uh, it was in season four, and Ruth, one of the main characters, was listening. Basically, New York State of Mind was the soundtrack to this entire episode. She mm. was listening to New York State of Mind in her headphones and just kind of relating the themes of that song to what's going on in the episode and in the series. Uh, there's a cool scene when she runs into Killer Mike, just like sitting in a diner or whatever, and he asked her, like, what, you're, what are you bumping? What are you listening to? And she tells him, and then he shares his own interpretation of the song. You know, when I listen to that record, his projects are in Queens, and you can kind of see Manhattan. And I've always thought it was so hopeful and fucking cruel at the same time. So I think if a relatively popular Netflix show like Ozark decides that this this song is good enough and it resonates enough to basically soundtrack the entire episode and has themes that they're looking for, I think that says a lot about it. Rolling Stone ranked it as the 31st greatest hip-hop song of all time, whatever you want to, however you want to view Rolling Stone's <laughs> general uh, opinion of hip-hop. I think it does creep into uh, to people's minds uh, when they're talking about great hip-hop songs uh, in the 90s. And I wanted to, like... The theme of it, it, it's really striking to me. And the, the, the title of the song, New York State of Mind, to me, it's like when other people think of New York, they think of Manhattan. They think of a lot of times they think of glamorous stuff or Wall Street, right. things like that. But Nas is saying like he even said when I'm in a New York state of mind, this is what I'm thinking of. Like So when he Nas thinks of New York, when he's in a New York state of mind, he thinks of crime. He thinks of how he grew up and obviously Nas like he has good parts good associations with where he grew up he loves it he loves Queensbridge yeah but at the same time 
yeah, at the same time, he, he maybe resents it a little bit for some of the stuff that he had to see growing up. So that's where like the New York state of mind. So when Nas is in a New York state of mind, that's different than when a lot of other people think about New York. I think you're right that I think, and not to be like heavy or anything, but in a post 9-11 world, New York has been given, you know, like a like they to just kind of focus on the more glamorous side of it. But for those like of our age, like we remember, like definitely like even into the 90s when it was starting to kind of clean up and the image was changing. The image of New York was like it's the biggest city, but it's dangerous. Oh, don't go to New York. It's dangerous. And I think like a younger generation would not remember like a like, I think, you know, you know, like it's dangerous everywhere, like you know, wherever you go. But like that was the image that was portrayed to people about like New York. And then you're hearing about. All right, yeah. What's what's it like in Queensbridge for Nas? And he's given that darker side of it, but it's not like bashing New York, but it's talking about the realness of it and like a conflicting how he feels about where he's from. Yeah, that's that's very well put. And I think too, there's there's a line in this song that's probably one of the most famous lines I think in hip hop history. Honestly, it's when he says, It drops deep as it does in my breath. I never sleep because sleep is the cousin of death beyond the walls of intelligence. That so like succinctly captures a mindset, like the anxious feeling of living where he lived. Like he couldn't sleep, he didn't even want to do a basic human need because that, that was way too close to something that he's afraid of, which is death every day. So he didn't want to chance it. I don't. I never sleep because sleep is the cousin of death. To me, that's just such such a perfect line. I love that line, and I love this song. Uh, just as a side note, um, I've been to Coachella, the the music festival, mm-hmm. six times. So I went six times between about 2007 and 2014. And one of my favorite memories was seeing Nas perform Illmatic in full. It was in 2014. Wow. It was the 20 year anniversary of Illmatic. And I remember getting chills when the show started because they went from Genesis, which is the first track on the album. It just kind of lays the groundwork for the album. It's a really good. It's not a song. It's just sort of the introductory track. They went when they went from Genesis into New York State of Mind, which is the second track off the album. I just got goosebumps like just that's that's incredible. Yeah. And I was bobbing my head during the show with Pharrell. So Pharrell was right next to me. And we Whoa. looked at each other and we were kind of like bobbing our heads. So he wow. wasn't wearing his hat. Nobody really knew he was kind of wearing, he was kind of incognito. But I had to do a double take. Whoa, I'm like, that's whoa. Pharrell. And then you he just, looked at me. You just slipped that in there, this yeah. big name drop here. I was next to my man Pharrell. Like, whoa, I whoa. You, I never heard this, everyone. So yeah. you were in Coachella jamming to Illmatic next to Pharrell? That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, he was to my left, and I was just kind of feeling it. I think it was maybe early. I think it was during New York State of Mind or maybe a track or two after that. But I just kind of looked to my left. I saw this guy kind of feeling it. And then I did a double take, and he looked at me, and he just kind of gave me a look like, hell yeah, this is awesome, isn't it? So Pharrell and I had like a little you had a had moment, like a little moment during, during uh, this uh, Nas's set at Coachella. Jeez. I mean, you made an argument here to put this song, and I'll be honest. I never would have thought of any of the tracks for essential mm-hmm. songs on Illmatic. I would have thought of even other songs in the 90s for Nas. Mm-hmm. But this album is like, you know, I think maybe there's only maybe The Chronic is the only other is like the only album I was put as more essential than Illmatic yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Like just for an album, but 
you made a great point, and honestly, I don't know how for the rest of the show I could top like you throw in a <laughs> I story just threw of Illmatic. you uh, Illmatic, but then vibing <laughs> with Pharrell, it's oh, like gosh. you know, I don't like that's like a hard act to follow here, Thomas. Like you're making it hard for me here, <laughs> I, man. Like I wasn't trying for one-upsmanship. That was, <laughs> but that was, that, but did. it's awesome. Yeah, it's hard to top that. That was my last Coachella, and that was one of the last sets. I think that was a Saturday night, so I had one more day of Coachella. That was the last year I ever went, and I went I went out with the bang, for sure. Like, Did seeing Nas perform that was just amazing. And I could see your point, too, Jeremy, about this. You, we think of Illmatic as this cohesive work, mm-hmm. right? And so, therefore, nothing sticks out. But to me, it's like this song's always stood out. And I think this actually is the one from Illmatic that resonates with the uh, hip hop community at large. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think if you had to ask me, like naming, I could name tracks. I can mm-hmm. name, and this song comes up like one of the first ones. And I, I think you're right. And that's, I'm glad you brought this up because it's just what do you always hear a lot? Still like Illmatic, 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 which is rightfully so. But then, like we do with other albums, let's talk about like the singles that are big too. And New York State of Mind is definitely one of them. So I think it, I wasn't sure at first, but I mm-hmm. listening to you, I, I, I'm, I'm down with it. Ooh, down. Yeah, stayed in my case. Yeah, awesome. you got it. I yes. was like, oof. I, I have no veto, so I couldn't veto right. it. But I was thinking, like, I might say, if I did have one. <laughs> I still want to talk you into it anyway, though. I yeah. still want you to get on board, even though yeah. you don't have a veto, you know? I'm on board. <laughs> I'm on board. Okay, so awesome. I see where you're going, I, at least with that track. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for me, the next one I have, and now it's, it's tough. It's a tough act to follow here, but I'm gonna take you back to 1994, and I'm gonna go back to a little flavor in your ear mm. with the late great Craig Mack, but the remix. Featuring Notorious B.I.G., Rampage, LL Cool J, and Busta Rhymes. And that's what I'm going to nominate here. I think when I look at Essential, you got to think about the whole of the 90s, the whole decade. Bad Boy, you know, we had the Death Row Bad Boy rivalry. East Coast, West Coast was a, sadly, but it was a, probably the thing that sticks out for a lot of people about the 90s as a whole was the East Coast, West Coast rivalry. If you look at it, as big of a force that Bad Boy was in music for uh, decades, honestly, starting in the 90s, the foundation was you have a little bit of Mary J in R&B, but for hip-hop, it was Craig Mack. And this song, I will say, you look at the remix especially, Craig, the beat kind of still resonates. When people hear that, like, you know, boom, boom. But then you have something when he had the Notorious B.I.G. come on there. And this is before Biggie's album had dropped and Juicy had dropped. So he's he's getting to be known as like a rising MC, a rising force, but he's not there yet. And honestly, the way he comes in and what he drops and the lines... More guns than roses, foes is shaking in their boots. A visible bully like the boots disappear, vamoose, you whack to me. Take them rhymes back to the factory. I see the... I mean, it's just like mind-blowing kind of things what he's doing here. And I think, to me, this is a song that really put Biggie on the map for a lot of people. I think also you look at different things 
because at the time, West Coast hip hop is dominating. The Chronic's mm-hmm. out, Dre, Doggy Style had come out. All these things are, are happening. So the West Coast is really feeling itself. And there's some things that swing it back to the East Coast. You know, we can talk about Wu-Tang, Illmatic was one of them. But I think, honestly, this song, it was things that people don't talk about that kind of helped swing it. I also look at it because remixes have been around before. I'm not saying this song invented the remix. But a big part of this is this remix. And Diddy was a big force in looking at remixes in the 90s. This is one of those things that, okay, we see the formulation here of Diddy. And then soon everybody else in hip hop, when you have a hit, we're going to do the remix and we're going to make this big posse cut and get people on it. And kind of this song booms. I also look at, we look at later career LL Cool J, one of the great MCs of all time. For the last part of his career, this is one of those songs and one of those, his lyrics on here, his verse is one of the ones that people talk about to this day and it's still known for. But tell me, was it really just the flavor that be clogging your ears? The most healthy behavior is to stay in the clear. It's all for you. It's really all for you. Punch back, close your eyes, try to... So I think just for all those things, I'm going to nominate Craig Mack, Flavor in Year, the remix with Biggie, Rampage, LL, and Busta. Okay. Of course, I remember this song. Absolutely. I think I was in middle school... Uh, mm-hmm. by this point when the song came out maybe sixth grade or something so i do do remember the song for sure and i always it always struck me as like a club track in a way it's kind of like you know i think it's a song that gets you high i wouldn't say it's a club track uh-huh but i think it's a song that gets you hype and you okay. like jay okay. i think I, you can see it in the club like i'm not saying you, you can't play it mm-hmm. but i think it's one that you just get hype you can get hype with your boys to it yeah so it's you know i i look at it like that Okay. And I look at it like, do I love this song? I'm a big fan of this remix. I do mm-hmm. love it. But about importance, I feel like this song has a lot of importance in a lot of ways and as an essential one. Because I okay. think you can't write the story of 90s hip-hop, 90s hip-hop songs without talking about Bad Boy and Biggie. And I feel like this was a, an emergence for both of them as well. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, Jeremy, if you will allow me something, mm-hmm. I want to take a little pause for the listeners, it'll just be like a 10-second pause. But I want to take a little pause and actually listen to the song right now. Absolutely. And then come back, and I'll share with you my fresh reaction I'm and down. take to this. Because I'm still kind of like, I'm kind of thinking like, hmm, okay. But I want to listen to the song right now, and then okay. we'll come back. Perfect. All right, we're back, and I just listened to Craig Mack's Flavor in Your Ear remix, or re-listened to it. I'm familiar with the song. <laughs> I used to listen to it in, in middle school and high school and everything, but I wanted to get a, a more fresh perspective before I gave my take. And I, I think, first of all, that beat is obviously iconic. Yeah. I, it, I think it, it's definitely an essential beat uh, for sure. Uh, I love how it starts. You have... Uh, puffy you have uh sean combs uh doing his uh, bad boys like the the warriors, the warriors like from the yeah. warriors yeah uh so so i think that's like a very memorable start uh it's it's great to hear like biggie right out of the gate he's the one that does the first verse and just he's such a presence and of course we were gonna do a 90s hip-hop song podcast and and mention Biggie and in some form or another. 
and it's just he's he's amazing and and it just he he just has such authority on the mic and so the song immediately starts with an authoritative tone over this iconic beat uh love hearing ll cool j and biggie on the same track <laughs> like that's that's pretty dang cool like yeah yeah so i'm not gonna veto this i think this is a really cool choice i think uh it's cool to have a remix i think it helped in terms of of importance i think we were seeing what well, this was 94 and so we stood this is when ready to die came out so bad boy was starting to get its footing the company was only like a year or so old around that time and this really helped bad boy continue its momentum and become what it was like it rode the momentum from ready to die things like this track and it really i think it helped change hip-hop a little bit as we moved toward the end of the 90s uh just the emergence of bad boy and this song was really instrumental in that and this you know and i was double because triple checking because this comes out a little bit before ready to die so it's like we don't have juicy just yet we kind of have like Mm. the remix in you know and and i think this really kind of Biggie's known in New York. Biggie's definitely a force coming up. Like it's like, okay, this dude, who's this Christopher Wallace dude? But on a big scale, like this was a top ten. I know chart stuff isn't the most important, like as far as essential songs. But in the case of Biggie coming to a big audience, this was a top ten Billboard hit. So I feel like that was a good springboard for Biggie. But I think, like you said, this the song is just a it's just a badass song. Biggie kills it on here. Remixes are a big part of 90s mm-hmm. hip-hop and after the 90s. And I think after here, you start to see more of that. Like, oh, we have a hit or, or there's a song that's like a cult hit. We're going to put out a remix. And, and Puff was a big part of it, too. So, yeah, I I, I just it, it's a different choice. But I I think it's definitely got to be on on a list. Now, if it's not in your top five essentials, I get that. But yeah, I think but- it's got to be high. But I don't think I don't think with this exercise it needs to be top five essentials. Exactly. I think it's just five essentials. I agree. So if it's an essential, then it doesn't matter if it's top five. It's just what we felt like bringing up on this episode or mm-hmm. something. You know what I'm saying? So I do think it wouldn't be one of my top five essentials, but that does not matter. I think it's a really cool choice as an essential track, essential hip hop track from the '90s. And so uh, I won't veto it for that reason. And I'm glad you gave me the uh, the space to go back and listen to it and, and gather my thoughts. No, I appreciate you doing that because, it, like I said, this was the toughest. I, I mean, and we'll we'll obviously we go on with other episodes. It can be topped. But I think and especially with something as with music and as broad as like a whole genre, we're not even just doing like an artist. Or, you know, we're going with 90s hip-hop songs. I think you're so, you nailed it. It doesn't have to be your top five essentials, but just five essentials. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm glad you said that because this this is a tough task. Like, I think if people really thought about it, like, there's a, a lot to talk about for your essential 90s ones. But I think just kind of like, you know, New York State of Mind, this is one that, like, I know it. I love the song, but... Pre us picking this episode, I wouldn't have thought about it. But then when you're sitting there doing it and you're listening to it, I, I was like, yeah, this is an essential. 
And I think it fits in with the first two songs that we picked too. Like it's it's an, it's a good not like it has the same themes, but I think that's why it's a good uh, side by side with the Ghetto Boys' "Mind Playing Tricks on Me," Nas's "New York State of Mind," because this one's a little lighter. Like you know, yeah. it doesn't. It's not talk. It doesn't have like the themes aren't as heavy. It's more about the production. It's more about the Biggie's flow. L O Cool J Busta Rhymes. It's more about their flow, wordplay, production value. It's not about them telling some deep story about m- mental health in the Ghetto mm-hmm. Boys case or in Nas's case about him growing up in Queensbridge. It's a little on the lighter side, and I think that's a good accompaniment to because not everything on this list, not everything in hip hop in the '90s was super heavy, right? You know? And I think this is a, a good, really good example of that. No, no, great point, and I'm glad for people not because that's the first time we did it. So that's something we we will do if there's a song, an episode, whatever the topic is. If we need like a refresher, we're like we know it, but we don't know it we gotta like listen or watch it again you're not gonna wait the whole time of the song or the episode but we're gonna go do it so you'll like thomas said it'll be 10 seconds but we're gonna do that because we want to give it a fair shot because this is a fun podcast but we take our pop culture seriously yes. too now yeah indeed you're in good hands we want you to be in steady trusty hands with us that's right that's right so thomas i i'm because you, you're you're dropping some gems here, you're you're really impressing me. Like this is for everyone listening. That for as far as music, definitely hip hop. Our first like really deep hip hop conversation is like live on the air. Yeah. So it's like okay, getting to see like all right, Thomas, I see you, I see you. Name dropping Pharrell. I mean, just <laughs> you know, next he's gonna be like you know, I was chilling. Of the you pod, know. Pharrell. Yeah. Next, I, the next song, you know, I was out, you know, walking down the street and I'm jamming to this song and Snoop Dogg walked by me and I was just like, oh, wow. Hey, Snoop. And what are you listening? I'm just waiting for the next crazy story from, <laughs> from Thomas here. Like I'm learning like with everybody else here. Like this guy's At got range. Most Def and I were driving around and bumping the next song. Oh yeah. Just like, you know, and you'll <laughs> yeah. just slide it in so calmly, you know, most oh, Def man. and I were in the car and he was like, turn this up, Thomas. And I said, sure. And that's why I picked this song on the list. Yeah, I'll turn it up for you, most deaf. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want, man. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, I guess you're ready to hear I'll, to hear number four. Of course. All right. So you might have to listen to re-listen to this one. Um, maybe I don't know. Um, but I did want to pick something. This is something from the West Coast. These guys are from from Inglewood. And I wanted to pick something that was relatable, but with much lighter stakes than mm-hmm. what, especially the first two songs mm-hmm. that we talked about. We're going to the West Coast here, so I'm pretty happy about that. We're geographically, uh, right. we went, we went for two from the East Coast, one from Texas, the South, and then now we're going to California. It's from 1992. It's probably not the West Coast thing from 1992 that. A lot of people first go to. So uh, my choice for number four. Passing me by, by the far side from bizarre ride to the far side. So before, before I kind of 
state my case. I wanted to ask you, Jeremy, if you need a chance to listen or how familiar you are you with passing me by. Oh, familiar enough where I do not need to, I don't have to do it. Like, I appreciate the the <laughs> offer, but no, this is a song that I hear all the time, that I play all the time. And if we were doing a favorites list, this would be high on it. Wow. So I, I know this song very, very well. Oh, and once you said Englewood, I knew what song you were okay. picking. Like, I okay. knew where you were going. So Yeah, that tipped you off. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. So this song, when I mentioned Relatable... This song is about like various types of crushes and heartbreak that we experience in school, basically. It's about pretty much unrequited love from afar. And right. we could all relate to that. I could go back, like I'm a happily married man. I could think about the the crush I had in high school and about how she probably didn't even know that I had a crush on her or whatever, you know. And this was super relatable at the time. It's relatable now in like a nostalgic sort of way. And like I said, it's lighter stakes, like an unrequited love. That's a much lighter stakes than like a shootout or mm-hmm. witnessing your friends getting murdered or something like that. Like it's uh, I think just I love the relatability. Uh, Far Side is a uh, Booty Brown, Slim Kid 3, Monty and Fat Lip uh, from Inglewood. Bizarre Ride to the Far Side is kind of a I guess you could say underground Though it did kind of go a little bit mainstream, but it's a bit underground, especially compared to like some of the stuff we're talking about, Jeremy. Yeah, I feel like it was like a it's a cult kind of thing, mm-hmm. cult hit. Like, um, definitely wasn't like dominating the mainstream. But I feel like as the later years have gone by, you'll hear it. Like you referenced, like uh, New York State of Mind being in Ozark. I remember uh, this song being played in that uh, Netflix show, Friends from College. Oh, that's right. And yeah. that it's in there. So I feel like mm-hmm. as time is going on, which I said earlier, it's a big deal for me. Like it's lasting, like it's not just big in the moment. It's lasting the test of time. This song is doing that. Yeah. Such a great beat and melody. Jay Swift was the producer on this track. They sampled Summer in the City by Quincy mm-hmm. Jones. That's that famous kind of sample in the background. That's a Quincy Jones track. I just love the the storytelling here. It's funny, but kind of heartbreaking, kind of relatable. So like the first verse, Boogie Brown, he has a crush on his teacher. And it's kind of innocent, though. Like he's talking about writing her name and then carving a plus and putting his name last and all of that stuff. Like someone would do while in grade school. If you have like a school schoolboy crush, you're maybe writing in your notebook like Thomas and Melinda forever or something like that. Like. I think that first verse by Boogie Brown is just like lighthearted and relatable, but you're kind of feeling sorry for him at the same time. And did you have like, do you remember having like kind of unrequited crushes and loves and stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. And it was just like, uh, it's a weird thing because for me, this song hits it because it's like the song fits with how I looked at like crushes back then. Which there was those girls who like everybody thought was pretty. So then it was like it was okay, like oh yeah, she's we think she's so hot and all that. But there was those girls who you felt were like oh I like her, but you didn't know how your friends would feel. And you know mm-hmm. back then you care they're gonna like rib you, make fun of you. So then you would kind of keep it to yourself, but like and you would ch- then you were afraid of like showing it. So then you might tease that person or crack jokes extra hard. It's kind of like a Hey Arnold thing where after I would do it, I'd be like, why did I do that? 
but like I didn't want to show that I really liked this person, and right. I didn't want anyone to suspect anything. And it was just like, yeah, she's passing me by, man. Yeah. And that song is just absolutely. And they they talk about like each verse. It's all four of them that each have a verse. And it's kind of different takes on this topic. So like Slim Kid 3, that's the second verse. He has a crush on a girl, but only from afar. He hasn't approached her. I have been going as far as asking if I could get with her. I just played love by ear and hope she gets the picture. I'm shooting for her heart. Got my finger on the trigger. She can be my broad and I can be her. And I could think of that too. Uh, I'm like frustrated. Like, how come she? How come she won't go out with me? But then looking back, it's like maybe she would have if you if you yeah. said something. You know, mm-hmm. like who knows? So so he was talking about that. Imani has a crush on someone who he feels is out of his league. She's probably one of the more popular girls at the school and kind of like a celebrity at the school. But and, and he's kind of intimidated, probably in that sense. Like everybody has the hots for her. And she's just way out of my league or whatever. And that's very relatable as well to me. And probably maybe my favorite verse was the last one by Fat Lip. And he has a crush on someone and regrets not talking to her initially. But he does write her a letter and he admits it's a wimpy attempt. And I love how this verse starts. And it's it's probably my favorite small five second or so tidbits Mm. in the song. When the verse starts, like kind of the bass is elevated just a little bit. It's a little more highlighted, and Fat Lip says, And there she goes again, the dopest Ethiopian. And now the world around me begins moving in slow motion whenever she happens to walk by. What is the apple of my eye? Overlook and disregard my feelings, no matter how much I try. And it's just like how he breaks into, into that verse. It has just such a, like an awesome vocal melody to it. That bass is a little more highlighted. You can tell there's maybe more urgency. The tracks might be winding down a little bit. You can tell this is like the crescendo uh, of the track. If you don't already know, this is the fourth verse, so you could tell that way. But it just has the sound of like something's heightened and coming to a conclusion. That whole like, now there she goes again, the dopest Ethiopian. Like the how that sounds coming off the tongue is just awesome, like construction of a verse too. And that's just this song. I'm so happy that. Not like I'm surprised that you're familiar with it, but that you're so, it seems like you're so on board with it. And I think it has resonated with people too. And the video, this like, you can call The Far Side a one-hit wonder possibly, because this is probably their only song that really broke through. It was played on Yo! MTV Raps a lot. They were still considered underground. Yeah. But this song in particular did kind of break through hip-hop at large, even though The Far Side themselves stayed a little bit more under the radar. Yeah, I feel like they might like one one more hit. They didn't have a lot of hits. No. So it's different, but I I'm thoroughly like this was one cuz they have like passing me by, they have like running, but they don't have a lot of like hits, but this was a song that hits me in a different way and honestly what you're saying is so true. It's weird like that it I loved it when I was younger, but it, the way the song is and how chill the song is and like reflective in a way it hits me more as when I get older, it has a more special place as the older I get because it just brings me back to just like, just that saxophone playing it. 
I just love that. Like, yeah, you know like what I'm the saying? Cadence is, yeah. Is and awesome. it's, she it's just to me. See, so you're better. I got I'm, that from the doors too. Like the, oh, that yeah. was Jim, that was a Jim Morrison inflection. They mm-hmm. were watching the doors and, and they, I guess they were goofing around. And I think that was fat lip who goes, she keeps on passing me by. He's doing like a Jim Morrison. Yeah, impression. He, and just that, like it just hits, right? Like it just yeah. the way, like, and especially it's weird. I don't know if I'm going to explain this well, but for a song that's like chill and like a laid back flow that when he drops that it's like intense, but not intense where you're blown away, but it's yeah. just like, Oh, okay. I feel like you don't go like, Whoa, but you go, all right, I see you. Yep. Like it just adds perfectly to yeah. it. It's uh one of my favorite songs ever. And it's one that I love in the nineties. And as time is going on, I play it over and over. Like it just hits deeper as I get older in a way, which is kind of yeah. the opposite of the song, but it has that effect on me. No, for sure. And it's it's pretty cool because I know last week when we were teasing this episode, we were like, we're going to find out a lot about each other based on our selections and our yep. find out about each other's backgrounds as far as hip hop. And this is a pleasant surprise to me, Jeremy. And it's cool to see the far side kind of permeated through a little bit through the East Coast as well. Mm-hmm. If they weren't just a underground West Coast gem that stayed in the West Coast, like their music traveled apparently <laughs> across the country, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And they kind of, I feel like what they had, and it's a shame. I feel like in pop culture, there are things that, you know, we look at stuff that broke through and there's always things that led to it. They maybe not get the credit. They had a little hit or people didn't know about it. That you look at like, you know, grunge and you have like the Melvins and group like that. And people think Nirvana Pearl Jam, but there was other grunge groups that were doing things and then it broke through with these yeah. groups. And I feel like the far side kind of have that like roots feel, that Jurassic Five kind of thing, that they got more recognition they came after, and rightfully so. They're great groups, you know. Yeah. But it's like the far side were like a precursor to that, that like alternative hip hop that it was jazz like backpacker hip hop yeah. in some ways. Yeah. Kinda, it yeah. Was like that hippie kind of like, yeah. oh, they're they're talking about issues in like a different way. You know, yeah. where hip hop is talking about issues like in your face, this alternative kind of style. <laughs> it's like, you know, you feel like people, like you said, they're backpacking, they're smoking and they're like, you ever just <laughs> yeah. think about life? And yeah. like what it all means. Like, they might even be skateboarding. Yeah. Like it was just such a like an alternative in hip hop, like, but they're being authentic. They're being true to themselves. The far side, they're the first ones to admit they were not gangsters. Like mm-hmm. they weren't, they weren't tough. Like one of them said, like I was, and I couldn't fight. I wasn't tough. And that that's not really how they grew up. Like I think they grew up seeing some of that, but they didn't really participate. Like that's not who they were at their core. So they were being authentic to themselves and rapping about things that they could relate to and not trying to force some trying to be end up like nwa or dr dre or whoever like they're being their authentic selves and i and i really respect that and that's a huge statement you made and i'm glad you made it because i think in a lot of ways there's certain figures you could say there's a before and after in hip-hop and kanye is one of them he's not 90s but i feel like kanye blew up like alternative hip-hop he kind of knocked down gangster rap, you know, like in the mid 2000s. And we've seen and still do see a big wave of it. And Kanye should get a lot of credit for that. Mm -hmm. But maybe it wasn't as commercial. Like we talk about the far side. This alternative hip hop 
has always been around. And it's yeah. been around big time in the eight, but definitely in the nineties. And it didn't get the billboard success that gangster rap did, but there was a lot of people that showed there's different levels and styles to hip hop. It's just not all gangster rap. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think this is a good fit on an essential list like this. It shows another element of hip hop shows thematically a different side of hip hop that I really appreciate. This is a list. I, I had different ideas about how, cause I'm thinking about how you're, cause I'm like, I got to counter him. <laughs> Nothing could have prepared me for this one. I, I am pleasantly surprised, but now I'm like, my strategy is like just different. Like, you know, like, and I forgot to mention that this was a song that I used to, when Crazy Bone and I used to play video games, mm. we would put this song on. That makes sense. Yeah, that yeah, makes yeah. sense. You know, he's just like, Thomas, turn that up. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, Crazy Bone, I'll turn it up. You're just like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, of course, you know. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Like this. It wouldn't surprise me. He's like, yeah, Thomas was there when Bone Thugs was formed. I just, I was just playing games with them. PlayStation was new, and I was like, yeah. hey. And then Easy like, E wanted to call a meeting with me and said, "Hey, what do you think about these Bone Thugs and Harmony guys? I'm thinking about signing them." And so I was like, hey, "Easy E, you should." Yeah, you're like, I like them. It's, it's good, you know. <laughs> I'm like I, the Forrest Gump of hip hop. Yeah, <laughs> 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 that's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> I saw Illmatic live, you know, in front of me. Pharrell was next to me. Dr. Dre behind me. Snoop was like chilling. Like, it was just, I was just like, hey, what's up, guys? Like, you know. You're going to think I'm joking, but I'm not. I'm pretty sure that somebody from De La Soul was standing next to Pharrell at that moment. But I couldn't confirm it. I'm not even joking. Oh, I yeah. had to do a double take, too. And I'm like, I think that's someone from De La Soul. And I can't 100% confirm it, but I'm pretty sure it was Pharrell and somebody from De La Soul. <laughs> oh, I because I know they have a big influence on him. So. Yeah. Well, so he's like, oh yeah, Maceo was there. So, you know, Maceo was just chilling, you know, from De La Soul. Like, it's just, you know, I'm learning a lot, Thomas. Like, yes. you know, just like you said, Forrest Gump of hip hop. He's just been <laughs> everywhere. Just right been here. Everywhere. So, so yeah. So I'm glad you liked that one, Jeremy. I'm uh, curious about your, so, so you're about to pick our fifth and final essential 90s hip hop song. Yeah. And it's really, it's down to two. It's really two songs, and I wish I could like give them a tie, and be like they both equally because they both on any kind of list for Jeremy. If you want to do best, essential, favorite, they're tied at the top, honestly, for me. So this is really hard. And I know afterwards we'll probably get I'll, I can say like the honorable mention one, mm -hmm. but um, I got to give it to. We're gonna go back to ninety two, and I I think. I'm going to talk about a little bit. Like there, there is a bias, but I still think it's the best. Where I love that that jazz rap, mm -hmm. and like to me, when you naming like the fair side, like that, that was it. Like I love that late '80s, but definitely in the early '90s, where you kind of have that combo going there. And there's a lot of artists who really did it. But for me, and this one is kind of more somber, but I think it's it's just an amazing track, and it resonates to this day. Pete Rock and CL Smooth, they reminisce over mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Um, no, I will, I don't have to go back and listen to that one. That's yeah. like a Stone Cold classic. You're right, that jazzy saxophone. It's an iconic beat. Mm -hmm. I think you still hear it in a lot of places, and I think a lot of you, especially younger hip hop fans nowadays, may not know where that 
beat comes from or where exactly. it got popular and that was pete rock and cl smooth jeremy yeah. like yeah that that's a great choice like why does it mean a lot to you it means everything to me honestly it's a song um that whenever you think about those who in your life have passed away you know because this song came out of tragedy you know and, and troy dixon t-roy he was a dancer for heavy d he was heavy d's best friend growing up but he was someone you know a lot of these hip-hop artists had known and liked him and you know at a concert you know afterwards people they were like kind of like horsing around and he winds up falling off like this high scaffold it was i think it was at market square arena like in indianapolis and he falls to his death he was 23 years old and it really is something that if you talk to guys hip-hop artists of that era they all remember troy and they all it still hangs over them heavy d up until his death would talk about troy so it's a song about reminiscing about those who you lost and it's also telling that story about like okay that person who just like damn like had that tough background kind of like was still navigating and you thought like maybe he's going to overcome and do it and then boom, he's gone like that. And it's just like, you know, we all have, I, I know I do people in my life like that. It's like, man, like you weren't sure where they were going to go in life, like which direction they were going to go. And it's like, I think they're going to make this right turn. And then they pass away tragically so young. Wow. And you think about the, the loss that you're feeling, but you think about the potential, and you think about the, all the fun times you would have had. And this song does, like you said earlier, that. And it's just, you know, Pete Rock's a great producer, just genius, legendary, but him and CL Smooth. And you think about, like you said, it permeates now. NBA Street Volume 2, that song had a big resurgence. Master or None with Aziz, that he opens an episode with this song. And I think to think about a song that makes you, a hip hop song that makes you cry, I think is one of the first examples I think of that a hip hop song that touches. It's still deep. It's still like you can jam to it and rock your head to it. But if you sit there and let it let it hit you, it can make you cry. Huh. And I think we have more of that as time went on. But I don't, I don't think not at least one for me that like that's the first one. And um, this song just means a lot to me on a personal level. It's something that I, it's helped me through times. But I think, like you said, it just influenced. And I don't think they're the best art, like, artists of that golden age, that jazz, rap, you know, native tongue kind of thing. But I think this is the best song to come from that. And I think you can't tell the history of hip-hop as a genre without mentioning this song. And you can't tell the history of 90s hip-hop songs in this early 90s era, especially without Pete Rock and CL Smooth, They Reminisce Over You. T to the R-O-Y, how did you and I meet in front of big blues fighting in the street? But only you saw what took many time to see. I dedicate this to you for believing in me. Rain or shine, yes, in any weather. This is such a great choice. And it always, whenever I would listen to this song, it always made me ask that question, whether it was their intent or not. Uh, I didn't totally know the backstory uh, of the song, but but when they say, they just put it bluntly, like, will they reminisce over you? Like, mm -hmm. that had me asking myself like will they reminisce over me like if i left my mark on friends and family and other people will, will they look fondly back on me like i guess they look back like heavy d and pete rock and cl smooth them look back on troy like like that, that i think that was just a, a great question that this song kind of like 
put in my mind, like, will they reminisce over you? How are you living your life? Mm -hmm. Are you treating them right? Like, you know, it just kind of always opened up that question to me. And and it just got me to think deep, man. And this was a good gateway for me. I should say like the whole album, it's from Mecca and the Soul Brother, which was released in 92. That's a really good album in its entirety. This is the standout track for sure. But it really did. It was like one of my gateways to more jazzy, soulful hip hop. Like you had mentioned, like this is like one of the pioneers mm-hmm. uh, of that. And I'm and I'm biased. Like I I love different genres, different eras of hip hop. But if there's one that hits me the most, it is that you can start late eight, but definitely the early nineties. And you have a tribe called Quest. You know, Thomas's good friends who he jams out with. They lost soul. Just different groups like that. P. Roxy L. Smooth, Queen Latifah was a part. Like. And that you listen to their track, even you know, going into '94, when you look at Illmatic, Nas's dad was a jazz player, and that he's on that album. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of, you know, it hits like from the early, definitely like into the mid '90s. It kind of stops, but that hip hop jazz fusion was just so strong, and represents that time to me of hip hop culture, black culture in the early '90s in a big way, and. There's a lot of great album, a lot of great songs I could have chose that I was whittling it down, but I, it'd be a lie. And people who know me who are going to listen to this would be like, "That's you're not being real," if this is not on the essential list. So I had yeah. to put it on there. It's a favorite, but it fits as an essential too. So that's what we're talking about. You're not being biased because I wouldn't put this in my top ten probably hip hop songs from the from the '90s, but it's a classic. Can't argue with it. I love the choice, man. Yeah, and I think it does, like you said, like, you still, young kids, they know the beat. Now, they may not know Pete Rock and CL Smooth, they, they don't know the backstory, but uh, a lot of people, they'll know this beat, and I think that's why I, I edged it out to try it, because I was nervous. I honestly said I can't, I told you before, I was talking to my brother about this, and I was like, I don't want to put my bias into this, with this mm-hmm. song, so I was kind of staying away from it. But I was like, when I got to the last choice, I was like, no, I got to put it on there. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful choice. And I think I think a good way to round out our five essential 90s hip-hop songs. Part one, most likely. Yes, yes, yes. Let me ask you, was there, I kind of said it was tough for me to kind of, I had a few whittling it down. Were there a few that just missed the, the list for this episode for part one? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I, I have some considerations. Uh, I wanted to, I was kind of thinking of like women in hip hop. And I know throughout hip hop history, in a lot of ways, like it's taken a long time for women to really get their due and start shining. Um, but I had considered Fuji's, um, specifically Re- Ready or Not, mm. uh, from a classic album, The Score, 96. And uh, just because Lauren Hill is so great on that track in that album. Um, I really love that song. So I kind of considered that one. Um, I considered uh, Outkast. <laughs> I considered yeah. AT Aliens. Some of the pioneers of Southern hip hop. Uh, I considered that one. Biggie, even though technically we have Biggie on our uh, a track here, but I was really looking hard at something from Ready to Die. And I think Things Done Changed would have been maybe an outside the box choice from Ready yeah, to Die. Yeah, definitely would have been. Because you have One More Time and Juicy, which were like the known tracks from there. But Things Done Changed is the track that kind of resonates strongly with me from Ready to Die. So I was prepared to make a case for Things Done Changed if I wasn't going to do one of my other two. Interesting. 
I almost thought you were going to say, I'm like, are we guys going to be that in sync? Like, <laughs> but when you talk about, no, women, I don't think in sync counts as nineties hip hop. No, no. I thought about it. I was like, just dirty pop. But I'm like, that's not the nineties. So I can't no. put it on there. But, um, I thought about like women in hip hop and definitely, and they still have a way to go, but as far as not just representation, but you know, lyrics and showing respect to women. And I thought about, Queen Latifah, U N I T Y. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that was that was that wasn't the one that I was down to, like, but that was up there, like that was on my short list. Uh, the one that I was tied for was a Tribe Called Quest, Leaders of New School scenario. Um, that was the one I couldn't decide between these two, but I went with They Reminisce Over You. That, I think that you was made the right one. choice. I love that song, but I think I think you made the right choice with They Reminisce Over You. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I I agree. I I. I just think just I feel like scenario isn't doesn't have the same cultural effect like it did for a long time, but I think they reminisce of you will never be forgotten. Mm-hmm. I think it'll always be talked about. There's just so much Lauren Hill, like you said, like I didn't go Fuji, I thought Lauren Hill because I dare should have said it like when we talk about albums, to me that on that short list, the chronic uh, Illmatic, but the miseducation of Lauren Hill is yeah. just one of those albums that I remember as a young person, just in the moment going, what am I listening to? This is blowing me away and knowing this is historic, even at a young age, like I, I've never heard anything like this and we have it. So I thought about some tracks on there, but I said that maybe could be in the future, but like, you know, it doesn't Definitely. have to come right now. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we did well. With ours I'm too. proud of us. Yeah, yeah, I am proud of us. So you, uh, you want to recap? Yeah, yeah. So for uh, our five essential '90s hip hop songs, and like Thomas said, probably is part one. We'll probably de- definitely go back to it. But number one, Ghetto Boys, Mind Playing Tricks on Me. Number two, Nas, New York State of Mind. We have three, Craig Mack. Biggie, LL, Rampage, Busta Rhymes, Flavor in Your Ear remix. Number four, we got Far Side Passing Me By. And we got for the fifth one, Pete Rock, CL Smooth, They Reminisce Over You. This list to me has, it, it passes my own kind of test of diversity mm-hmm. as far as content and themes and style. We have real jazzy stuff. We have real just kind of hard hitting, deep sounding stuff, like with a lot of like the production wise themes. We have real heavy themes, like especially with the Ghetto Boys and the Nas track and even the Pete Rock and CL Smooth track Mm -hmm. to a certain extent, pretty heavy theme. Uh, But we also have something lighter, like the far side is lighter in that, you know, it's relatable, but it's still like the stakes are pretty low. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, And then the Flavor in Your Ear remix is light and to me it's still like when i re-listen to it i can definitely like to me it's kind of a club track still um, yeah I but can, that's not a pejorative that's not a bad thing i get you i get you i never because you're not wrong i never really i think there's some songs that are just like instant like oh that's a club one mm-hmm. i think like you're right like if it was played in the club it wasn't like what like it's yeah. so like that's why I guess for me, it was always just that song, like driving around with like my older brother or something like that, and his friends. It just they turned it all the way up, and you're just like <laughs> nodding with it. And yeah. I'm trying to be cool because I'm like, I'll, all right, we just nod. But I wanted to just start singing all the lyrics to it, you know, and yeah. give that LL he shit. 
Like, I just wanted <laughs> to do that. But, you know, it just takes you back to there. But I, I, yeah. I understand what you mean. With and that's not a sure. bad thing because to me that, that, that speaks to its unique place on the list, honestly. Like, it maybe yeah. has a slightly different vibe than the other ones. No, for sure, for sure. And and I think, you know, just to wrap up, I like, because uh, I, oh, for the future episodes, for what we've done, some things, whatever the topic is, you know, you have to go chalk. And by chalk, for those who don't know it, it means like the typical, like, boom, boom, like linear, like the obvious choice, like you have to have it. And we're going to be real with you. But I also like the fun of, giving you something that's essential, but it's not the chalk answer. You know, I think uh, nothing but a G thing is definitely an essential song, but that's an easy answer. That's not the challenge. Wu-Tang Cream is an easy answer. I think Biggie Juicy or Tupac, Dear Mama. We didn't even mention Tupac once so far, and people are like, what the? You didn't. They're probably getting mad at us. Yeah, but, like, you know, there's so much. I love Tupac, and I love Biggie, but there's more to 90s hip-hop than Tupac and Biggie, as great as they were. Absolutely. And that's why it's fun doing song, because it's not albums, it's not even artists, which those guys would definitely dominate. It's it's hip-hop songs, and we have to show the variety, especially in the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. Yep. There's so many songs that built this to what it is today that we got to give love to. Yeah, We want to do uh, DJ Cool Herc proud with our, with our selections. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So... Do you want to, because next week is your choice, so do you mm-hmm. want to preview before we we split what next week's episode is going to be? Yeah, so for next week, I wanted to go back to discuss something movie-related. Our yeah. first episode was five essential Tom Hanks movies. Uh, I wanted to take this in a slightly different direction and not talk talk about an actor. I wanted to go delve into uh, director's movies. Uh, I know during covid uh, especially I sort of I rewatched a lot of uh, filmographies from different directors. I even kind of did my little rankings and decided what I thought about them and everything. One of those directors that I revisited was Spike Lee. Mm. And that was really rewarding to vi- revisit Spike Lee movies. And so I want to do, Jeremy, uh, next week I want to do a uh, five essential Spike Lee movies. I think that'll be a good dis- discussion. It'll be interesting to see our interpretations, our taste in certain Spike Lee movies. There's probably it's probably going to be some chalk, but I'm just curious to see like maybe what are the next in line after like maybe one or two obvious ones. But yeah. don't want to spoil it too much. But Spike Lee movies, five essential Spike Lee movies, is the topic for next week. I can't wait, and I, we're gonna I'm gonna dive into that. And you're right, there's so many ways you can go with Spike and his films and. He's such a controversial lightning rod figure, but you, you can't talk about movies in the past 40 years and not talk about Spike Lee and mm-hmm. his role in cinema. So I guess it's going to be a fun one, man. Yeah, can't wait. For my man Thomas, I'm Deremy. Thank you guys for listening to Pop Culture 5. Take care. and such.